A boy's best friend is his mother. Janet! Dr. Scott! Janet! Ah! Rocker! Oh, you're so cool, Brewster! I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? It was an asylum! And it was hell! 20 years of pure hell! Movies don't create psychos! Movies make psychos more creative! They're all gonna laugh at you! Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jock straps? Better give me those shoes, then mine give them back to me! How many times do I have to tell you Ursula Andres belongs with the transvestites, not the perverts? Oh, you heterosexuals. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. You're a bullshit artist! They're coming! They're coming! Screaming Queens, the horror podcast with the queer of you. My name's John Larkin. I'm Joel the Butler. Stephen Moore. I'm Mark Infinity. And we tonight are talking about a quintessential 80s teen horror called The Lost Boys. Um, so you're looking at 1987 and in the wake of uh, Fright Night came out in 1985 and Friday Night was a kind of, which we will be covering in another episode, it was a kind of a, um, a, a eulogy to a dead genre of vampire horror. Um, but basically what it did was it sort of it, it, it mashed classic vampire horror up with a sort of knowing, self-referential 80s comedy element to it. And what happened off the back of that was vampires were suddenly cool again. So uh, in, the, on the, in the wake of this, uh, we got... The Lost Boys in 1987. Vampire horror, full-on 80s power rock horror movie. And if you were born in the 80s or before, just before, um, you would have grown up with this being a really sort of cool... Some people refer to it as sleepover horror because it was really cool with teenagers to, to watch it together. Uh, and that happened with me. If I wasn't a teenager, I was very, very young. Um, <laughs> when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when I saw it and I, I've loved it ever since so the, the premise of The Lost Boys is um, it's, it follows two brothers Michael and Sam who move to a California town called Santa Clara with their mum Lucy and Lucy is played by one of the faces and voices of the 80s and early 90s isn't she the Diane Weiss wonderful fabulous actress who uh, who just makes you think of of that era I think she's a, she's a great actress she always plays amazing mums yeah. and and they move to Santa Clara together to start a new life after she's been divorced and they're going to move in with Lucy's dad but what happens when they get Santa there Santa Clara or Santa Clara it's Santa Carla. It is I wrote, Santa yeah, Carla. I wrote down Santa Carla. There you go. It is Santa Carla. It is Santa Carla. You know what, Santa Carla is a real place, isn't it? You know what Santa Clara is? It's my bloody autocorrect. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> so the white Carla is a much more, more generic name. Anyway, Santa Carla. 
And uh, when they arrive there, we see that it's been dubbed the murder capital of the world. And people go, young people go missing a lot there. Hey, we're almost there. What was that smell? Ah, that's the ocean air. Smells like someone died. Aw, honey, look, guys, I know the last year hasn't been easy, but I think you're really going to like living in Santa Carla. Michael and Sam head out to the boardwalk one night to get to know the place and um, Michael comes across a young gang of tearaways on motorbikes, all in leather, led by the blonde, cool, Billy Idol type Keith Sutherland. Yeah. Um, and he plays David, the leader of the gang. And he's also a, he also meets Star, who's like the one girl who's in this gang and, and there's, a, there's a connection between the two of them. And Michael sort of uh, follows a dare to, to try and keep up with them on their motorbikes and goes off with them into the night to 80s Power Rock. And we soon come to realise that there's more to them than meets the eye and they might just be vampires. I think I haven't watched something in a long time that hasn't screamed 80s so much. <laughs> like, just straight away it gets in there with that... Um, where he's not allowed to watch TV and he goes, oh, there's no TV... That, you know what that means? No TV means no MTV. And yeah. I was like, so you've literally set the entire yeah. scene for everything else I know what's to come now. Yeah. And it was just, I love anything. He's dressed, he's dressed like Don Johnson. He's like a 12 year old kid dressed like Don Johnson. <laughs> now on advice, and he wants to watch his MTV. It's yeah. just like, yeah. says, says everything really. So Sam, Sam's played by Corey Hayne and Michael is played by Jason Patrick. And Jason Patrick's like the sort of older, um, I say old, he's like 18, 19, something like that. He's a, he's a real heartthrob, matinee, mm. good looks. And Corey Hayne was obviously he's a sort of cutesy sort of teenager. And you, you, yeah, he does look like he's dressed a bit like Don Johnson, but he also looks like he's dressed a bit like. Um, he's got like a white blazer and like a Hawaiian shirt. But his, mm. his, his dress gets more and more um, androgynous as the film goes on. I think he looks more like he's dressed like a, a woman in the 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who he reminds me of? Um, you know, in Desperately Seeking Susan. Yeah. You know, um, you know, Des's ex-wife who comes to yes. who comes to get the stuff out of the loft. He's dressed exactly <laughs> like her. <laughs> Dance the hair. <laughs> He's dressed just like her. There's a queer reference for you. There's a queer reference. <laughs> it is really eighties. It's MTV. It's MTV horror, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's you. You can't mistake it for an eighties film. There is so much dry ice and. <laughs> strobe lighting behind dry ice and wind machine moments that it has yeah. to be yeah. 1987 <laughs> some bad haircuts as well yeah, yeah. fabulous haircuts when you talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> what was that I just thought it was all fabulous I loved everything every bit of fashion and hair yeah I think that was it yeah except for maybe Rambo but no, no. <laughs> The, the, oily, the oily saxophone guy. Uh, oily sax guy. He's amazing. Yeah. I didn't and really he, understand. I didn't know He's what was real. Happening. He's not like a yeah. joke. He's, 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 he's yeah. a real artist. He's Tina Turner's sax yeah. guy. 
He's, he's yeah. the guy in the Simply the Best video oh. and all and of the other videos. Go travel. He's famous. If you look on his Wikipedia, like I did, he is famous for performing on stage, gyrating yeah. while covered in liquid and <laughs> 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 playing. <laughs> <laughs> Baby, I was the way that was going for it, you know. Although I, I <laughs> in I'm your sorry. head, it was liquid. What <laughs> <laughs> can I say? <laughs> I do think he's uh, running. He's very dangerous. He's like to be that oily and stand next to a fire. You know? Yeah, <laughs> he's asking for trouble. Yeah, I love. I just love that. Whole, I mean. Everyone knows who the only sax guy is from Lost Boys, don't they? And I just love that scene. I love the song, and I love how everyone's so into it, and they're all like shaking yeah. their heads. And it's a very strange. It's, it's really surreal. It's a long time since I've seen this film, and I forgot that scene. It's, just, <laughs> it's completely strange. Yeah, there are so many. There are so many little scenes in this film that you can take out and separate them, and they would be music videos. Yeah. Yeah. Starts with that the shots over the water oh, yeah. and everything, and that main theme comes on, and the main theme is just brilliant. Cry little mm. sister, I love that song. I've been listening to it nonstop it's since. Great, isn't it? It's just a great song, and it just instantly kind of sets the mood. And I like the way they keep bringing it back. Yeah, throughout. I like a theme that comes back and yeah. not just use of the titles and then forgot about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I must have watched this film at the exact right t- right moment in my life because when when that theme comes on. I get the same sort of shivers that most people get when like Star Wars or Superman yeah. comes on. I get that same like amazing feeling. I get really very very excited. So the music's by Thomas Newman, isn't it? Who one of my favourites? Well, yeah. did the wonderful Desperately Seeking Susan soundtrack was probably his first Hollywood soundtrack, I think. And mm-hmm. um, so only three years before this and yeah. famously did American Beauty and obviously has probably done millions of other soundtracks as well. So many of my favourites. He did Fried Green Tomatoes soundtrack. Oh, yeah. He did uh, Less Than Zero, which is another amazing 80s big hair for, uh, pack type film. Um, he, did quite, he, did, he has done quite a few of them. I don't know whether he did the St. Elmo's Fire soundtrack. Oh, right. Which was Joel Schumacher's film before mm. this. 
another 80s classic. So it's funny talking about the soundtrack. Apparently Joel Schumacher, so it's directed by Joel Schumacher, who is big, notoriously gay, gay, gay. out <laughs> homosexual, um, who um, he directed Saints and Hours Fire, and he did the two... Batman sequels as well. Yeah, don't, talk, don't talk about Batman. <laughs> oh, don't talk about Batman oh, forever and don't talk about Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin is a seriously <laughs> queer film. Yeah. Really? He made vampires gay and then he made Batman gay. I mean, Batman was already a little bit gay, but like yeah. he made them super gay. Yeah. Yeah. See, at least Batman and Robin is that bad you can actually enjoy it. See, I actually like Batman Forever. Oh, Batman Forever. I'm not like the good. Do yeah. I like Batman and Robin for the badness. Yeah. yeah. And I just really just any 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 line by Arnold Schwarzenegger is just great in that film. Yeah. yeah. Any any <laughs> any, <laughs> any Mr. Freeze line is just yeah. so bad. Absolutely. <laughs> well, so talking about the soundtrack, Joel Schumacher basically he he uh, bribed everyone who's on it to be on it by saying he would direct music videos for them. Okay. Afterwards, if they came and did this film, so that's why he's got Roger Dolce and in, in Excess and um, Echo and the Bunny Man and all you know, lots of other. Yeah, that was so there. weird that I was like, "There's a poster of Jim Morrison on the wall, yeah, but you've got a cover of a door song. What the fuck?" But if you think of it though, <laughs> it, it was if it was aimed at teenagers in the eighties, yeah, they were try, they were doing what they do now. Yeah, they, they true, were trying true. to be hip and get current bands yeah. to, to sing these songs. It just I couldn't it bother me mind. I was like, "What's going on?" And they're working on the basis that teenagers don't want to listen to the same things as their parents. True. Yeah. But they might put a picture of Jim Morrison on the wall just have oh. yeah. Well, yeah. I, well, but then I they learn to like the stuff that the parents mm. like, you in spite of themselves. But I always thought that the Jim Morrison picture was on the wall because the vampires have been there for a long, long time. Because they're, they're yeah, ages. Well, yeah, yeah, they, they, they. So they might be fans of presumably Jim Morrison. They knew him yeah. all, maybe. From when yeah. Or they knew him. Or they knew him. Yeah. yeah, maybe they were in the doors. Maybe he was a vampire. Maybe. <laughs> it just uh, uh, that part of it for me made the film really obnoxious. I found what like, the very hot. Like well, and like the eighties, the reliance on the eighties. If something did that now. You'd be like, this is trying too hard, and you'd probably be like, fuck off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but the eighties was just cooler though. Yeah, the eighties was just cooler. It has, it does have a more of a like buzz about it than now. Because now, if they tried to do it now, everything would be like a drippy ballad mm. or a fucking um, hipster cover. Yeah, you know, someone's doing a long drawn out version of a just a piano cover of yeah, yeah, eighties yeah. pop songs. Yeah, yeah, these f- sung by Ellie Goulding. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's Ellie exactly what's happening in Fifty Shades of Grey. You know, those soundtracks <laughs> now they're also fucking boring. Sam Smith, we live in this generation where this is the coolest thing to ever happen. Ed Sheeran. Can you imagine if Ed Sheeran had got his hands on the on the Lost Boys soundtrack? Can you imagine what that would be like? If he made it, now, he probably made it probably would be. Yeah, he was. It would be. Yeah. He'd be singing "People Are Strange." <laughs> People Are Strange for liking him. <laughs> um, so as the film progresses, so um, we see Michael gets sucked in by the vampire gang. And uh, for, so for me, a lot of people say that there are queer undertones to this film. Um, part of me thinks that a lot of it's wishful thinking. I think a lot of it is. I think so. But I do enjoy the sort of tension between Michael and, um, I was going to say Sam, <laughs> Michael and David. And you do sort of want them to just kick Star out of the way and for them to just get it on, I think. Yeah, I think it's definitely a lot more wish fulfillment than everything pink and that. But it's very homosexual without just, I think, just because Joel Schumacher done it. I think he just accidentally made everything come across really gay <laughs> and really homoerotic. I don't think it was necessarily meant to be some kind of 
secret wink secret. type thing. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just the way he styles things. He did all the styling, didn't he? Well, yeah. he influenced a lot of it. He wanted it more. He wanted a, a sexy film to make it because originally it was meant to be like the Goonies. It was meant to be. It was a piece of pan thing. It was meant it? to be a piece of pan thing, and they, you, and um, the mum was meant to be called Wendy. Yeah. And the the That's two sons were meant to be called after the other two. Yeah. <laughs> Peter yeah. Pan children. And yeah. they there were there was very explicit Peter Pan references in the original um script. And but he wanted a sexy film and it was the eighties, so you I guess didn't want to repeat the Goonies too closely. But but a, I think all for, and all for the better for it, really, yeah. in some way. They did want the Goonies at first, though, didn't they? Yeah. Richard Donner was attached to director. Richard Donner, who directed the Goonies. He's a producer, he's still a producer. He's still attached, yeah, yeah but he's... Because you see the Goonies posting the video shop, yeah, don't you? exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but he went on and did Lethal Weapon instead. And then, did you, did you know Mary Lambert was, was attached after him? Oh, no. So Mary Lambert, who, was, who went on to... Who did Like a Virgin, Material Girl, and Like a Prayer for Madonna. She was also attached for a little bit as well. She obviously, she of course went on to make the horror, seminal horror classic Pet Cemetery. Uh, but she didn't do this one. Um, so yeah, so he came, he came after they, they were, they were being attached. He just had a hit with St. Elmo's Fire. And uh, yeah, so he's the one who sort of aged it up a little bit, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And it did manage to make it sexy. I think it is it's a sexy movie. I love, uh, you know, um, I love Michael. I think he's really sort of hot Jim Morrison look and I like his um sweaty, intense lad kind of thing, you know. I do find that very sexy. I like his kind of transformation. because like, at the beginning he is a bit more like at the very beginning he's a bit more awkward and dorky. And then as he gets further into the film he seems to be getting more into his little cool vampire self and he starts rocking the shades mm. and stuff. Yeah, he gets his ears it is, it's kind of like he's finding his little identity and stuff, and it's kind of cool to yeah. see him grow through that, whether it's all real or fake or... Yeah. It kind of feels like he just adopted their identity, but... I like where Sam asked him if he's been watching too much Dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Americans, Dynasty. That was quite funny. Um, as Michael gets sort of sucked into the vampire group and he becomes more, more attached to David and to Star, and Star is the kind of romantic interest of the film... At the same time, his little brother Sam is getting in with the Frog Brothers, <laughs> <laughs> and the Frog Brothers are the are the the one element of the Goonies type story that mm. are kept have been kept in this version. Um, so apparently, originally though, they were they were actually going to be vampires, and they were the, they were fifth and sixth grade boys who were like chubby eight year old club scout, club scouts, and they were going to be called Edgar and Alan. Yeah. Mm. After Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, <laughs> they still are, isn't they? Yeah. Oh, are they? Yeah, yeah. They're still called okay. Yeah, they are, because I read Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I was like, that's got to be a reference. Yeah. Mm. Playing the Frog Brothers, you've got Jameson Newlander, and you've also got, famously, Corey Feldman. So this is the film where Corey Feldman and Corey Haim became... The Corys. The two Corys type thing, yeah. Um, and um, before this, Corey Feldman had done Gremlins and had done Friday the 13th Part 4 as well. Um so he was sort of attached he was already linked in a big way to horror uh, and he's, he's he was in the Goonies and Stand By Me mm-hmm. The Burbs as well a bit later The Burbs yeah. yeah yeah. he's the neighbour and Sam so Sam gets in with these and the boys are like you know did you know that Santa Carla's got a vampire problem 
and Sam just doesn't believe it, but then suddenly his brother starts to exhibit signs of vampirism. Keeps going vampire comic through, doesn't he? Yeah, there's a great yeah. moment where um, he sees the vampires for the first time, and then he looks down and there's a vampire comic in his <laughs> hand, and it's just like so spot on, like, <laughs> we're really hitting the nose and nailing the head. head. <laughs> yeah. He gets given them, like, their instruction manuals, mm. doesn't he, for life. Their parents are all alleged, aren't they? But they just stoned in the corner of the comic shop all the time. Oh, is that who they are? I never um, realised. I'm guessing it's. I'm guessing that's who it's supposed to be. Oh, that's funny. Because they run the comic shop, don't you? But they're always that moment. They just uh, right. do what they want. <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? No. Got a problem, guys? Just scoping your civilian wardrobe. Pretty cool, huh? For a fashion victim. Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the diet, frozen yogurt bar went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. That's a very serious book, man. Only five in existence. Four, actually. I'm always looking out for the other three. Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98s with the 300s. Lori Lamaris hasn't even been introduced. Where the hell are you from? Krypton? Phoenix, actually. But lucky me, we moved here. Take this. I don't like horror comics. You'll like this one, Mr. Phoenix. It could save your life. I can't stand the Superbrothers at all. Oh, really? Every really? single time they were on the screen, I just wanted to punch them. I hated them. Oh, I loved them. <laughs> oh, I didn't You were the only bit that I just didn't find funny or like interesting at all. They were two Goonies for me and I'm not a fan of Goonies. You're not a fan of the Goonies? No. <sighs> See, um, I don't know. It you don't like the 80s then? <laughs> no. I do love the 80s, but I just like, don't like, like that. You don't. You're banned from the 80s. Banned, leave. I don't know, I just never connected to it. it See, I, I loved it when I was a kid, I loved the Goonies when I was a kid, but I, I won't watch it now. I watched it again when I was older and I'm I think it's nostalgia film. Really t- mm. Yeah, it, it is totally nostalgia. Yeah. I love it though. But then that's a nostalgia film before my time that I didn't watch until yeah, so I was you're like not, 20. You're not, so you're therefore not I was like... But it's, a, it's like a kid's film where the kids swear. It's great. You never get that anymore. Sam is at the centre of a lot of the sort of gay jibes about this film, isn't he? And yeah. you can kind of see why. Because when you watch the scenes in his bedroom, he's got that, like, Rob Lowe poster. <laughs> yeah. He's got a Rob Lowe poster, which isn't, like, a heartthrob. It's, it's not, like, a cool teenage lads love Rob Lowe poster. It's a sexy Rob Lowe pulling his top up. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. It's slightly erotic poster. And it's on his closet door. Oh. And his mum's, like, saying, beware of the closet monster. And then he's freaked out by a beaver. <laughs> his grandpa shoves a stuffed beaver in his face. A beaver. Which he then shoves into his closet behind Rob Lowe where it's safe. Stuffed beaver. Stay there. Don't stuff the beaver. Exactly. Exactly. So I can I can kind of see you know what people are yeah. saying there. Uh, and he, he is very quite he is quite a flamboyant character, I think. The bath scene was very gay as well, and it was like weirdly pervy. Where he's um, what where he's singing? When he's bath. singing in the bath, and then his brother bursts in, all like foaming at the mouth. It was just a bit weird. There is a bit of a weirdness about the big brother hungering for his little brother who's in the bath. Yeah, mm-hmm. there is a you, there's like a weird. There's that when the dog saves him. And then Nanook, the dogs, they've got this gorgeous husky dog called yeah. Nanook. 
And Sam says, you're a vampire. Wait till mum finds out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Goddamn shit-sucking vampire. <laughs> he was really good. He was actually my favourite part. Sam. I liked his character more than anyone else. I thought he had the most jokes that were just like kind of be hit right. Because he could be very annoying. Yeah. But he's not really, well, not for me. Was it, you know, you I, I found him quite a knockish, yeah. Yeah. But, I, but that was just for me, that was like, the 80s. you can see the producers had sat around and go, well, we want people to think this guy's cool, so he knows about comics and he dresses like Don Johnson. And I found that obnoxious, but that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, all those things make me like him. Yeah. I say, if I saw that in a film now, I'd be like, the producers have sat around and they're trying too hard, and it put me off. Yeah. But, yeah. See, that's why I felt like the two brothers were too much like that. Whereas he was like actually the cool one out of them, where they were just, they had all the annoying bits, but not mm. the actual cool factor, whereas he had the cool factor as well. It's like they've gone, it's like loads of adults have sat around and gone, what will 13 year olds like? And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did they want to be like? Yeah. Because none of them were. I wanted to be like the vampires jumping off the bridge and hanging yeah. because I just thought that was fucking awesome. Also, completely suicidal. Yeah. And he's literally like, oh, eat this, oh, drink this, oh, jump off this bridge with a train coming at you. Like, I wasn't sure who I wanted to be in this film. I think I probably wanted to be Star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just for the big hair. Just for the big hair. The, the Steve Dix scare. Yes, yes. I, I would have rocked more shawls. That would have been a good star. <laughs> I think I wanted to be here. Because she was kind of the one that who wasn't quite evil as well, wasn't she? She yeah. was like, she hadn't turned properly yet. Michael was supposed to be her first kill, but then David wouldn't let her because obviously David loved him as well. Yeah, see, I just wanted to be David. Yeah. Or under David. Yeah. yeah. Under David, yeah, yeah, definitely. Did you know, you know, the scene where David tries to get, tries to stop him from escaping and his, his hand goes on fire and there's a tear running down his cheek? That's because his contact lens was hurting him. Oh. So it was actually a real tear. Yeah. So this film has a big influence on a lot of films after it as well. And TV series. And TV series, yeah. So Joss Whedon's actually admitted to it as well, hasn't he? That well, I don't think there's any denying at all. Because yeah. I was like, watching it going, oh, so my favourite TV programme stole all of this. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. the term vamp out was first used here. Yeah. Which is, like, iconic. When was the Buffy film as well? Buffy film was 80s? Or was it early 90s? But yeah, so they came. They they were very heavily influenced by this film. The makeup and everything it looks very similar. Yeah, well, he's just the, a few more fine lines in the Buffy ones. Just reasons on on records are saying that he, the the idea that you could that they could be normal one minute and then a monster the next that that came from this film. Yeah, and um, Spike was based on David in parts as well. As well as who David was based on Billy <laughs> But I I'm not like mad at it because everything it just instantly made me like it and get it because I knew what they were going for. Yeah. How you doing? You must be Michael, right? And you must be Max. Right. How are you? Well, you're the man of the house, and I'm not coming in until you invite me. You're invited. Thanks very much. Where did inviting a vampire into your house come into? Wait, law. Because I can't think of anything else apart from Buffy and this that have had that. Dracula? Does Dracula mm-hmm. yeah. specifically say that? I don't know if yeah. having to be invited in. Yeah, I'm sure. That's the really hand-fisted scene where they're trying to figure out if he's the... Um... Oh, I love that scene. 
Yeah, like, I mean, it's a ham-fisted attempt. It's a great yeah, team. Yeah. But it's just a ridiculous thing. But I like the spin-around of how he got away with it. Yeah. So the story here is that Lucy, the mum, meets and fancies the guy, this guy, Max, who's played by Edward Herman. Mm. And... He owns the video shop. He owns the video shop. Um, so she invites him home for dinner, and, and then they, they start to think, oh, my God, Max is the head vampire. So... I can see why they would jump to that. <laughs> yeah. He's really not the most obvious suspect at all. No. Again, but it's, again, it's the fact that they were making it so obvious that it wasn't him, that it had to be him. It had to be him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, when they were going, who's the head vampire, who's the head vampire, I was going, David? <laughs> yeah. as, soon, as soon as that scene's there, it's like the next like five scenes, everyone's just constantly mentioning David at every chance possible. It's like, you're forcing it now. So they try, they do the best to try and prove that he's the head vampire, but it doesn't quite work out. But spoiler alert, he is. They throw holy water on don't get the dinner table. The uh, holy water, garlic. I love the bit with the send all the lights off and then put the mirror. <laughs> <in> the <laughs> <room>. <laughs> yeah. This looks terrific. Well, I hope it tastes good. Mmm. Mm. Wonderful. Mmm. Mm. Boy. Somebody around here has bad breath. No, no. Would you quit breathing on me? No, no. Get upstairs. Go on. You want some Parmesan cheese on that? Uh, yeah, Sam. Thank you very much. Sam grated the cheese himself. Ah. My son. Budding chefs in the family. Are you all right? No, mm. yeah, it's not cheese. It's it's garlic. But you hate garlic, don't you? No, I like garlic. It's just a little much. It's raw garlic. Garlic? How did that happen? Guys, she likes garlic. Oh, sorry. Here, quick, drink some water. Hey, oh! Sam, what's the matter with you? Does it burn? Burn? What are you, nuts? It's freezing. Oh, look at your suit, Max, and your... Oh, I'm so sorry. That's right. Gosh. Now what? Must be circuit breaker, Mom. He's not glowing. I know. Hit the light. Ah! <gasps> Sam, what has gotten into you tonight? I think I know what's going on around here tonight. You do? Yeah. I know what you're thinking, Sam, but you're wrong. Ma'am? Yeah. I'm not trying to replace your father or steal your mother away from you. I would just like to be your friend, that's all. See, he's a really, really famous actor, isn't he, the man? But I was just obnoxiously 90s and just know him as Richie Rich. That's... I was that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did anything beyond that. He did. I think he was big and he was, like he did lots of work in the eighties and maybe the early nineties, but I don't think he did very much beyond that. Uh, and he did Gilmore Girls. He's beaches dad in Oz as well. The HBO show Oz. But I've always heard he was well, like a big the Gilmore Girls. This isn't Slagnoff's Gilmore Girls, but having done huge Hollywood films to go on to the Gilmore Girls is hardly. Uh, Gilmore Girls created careers. Do you not test the Gilmore Girls? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you can tell me more about this after, after the podcast. And our Gilmore, Gilmore Girls I, spin-off I, special. So it sounds like it ended his. Inform. <laughs> yeah. Tell me who I'm meant to know about who's come from the Gilmore Girls. Who has come from the Gilmore Girls? Um, I, I've never the, seen it. What's his name? Know. The big comedian. What's his name? 
I've got a name. What's the name? Who's the girl, the woman. Lauren Graham. No, the woman who's like overweight and she's in. Oh, everything. Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy. Ah, so I've got Gilmore Girls to blame for her. But the, Melissa McCarthy in Gilmore Girls is great, and then everything she done after that. Ah. It's awful. I don't believe she's great in that. No, she's <laughs> actually really good in that. I love her character in that. She is pretty good. Okay, well, let's stop talking about the one girls, person. Get, like, one person. Girl, okay. <laughs> oh, Stephen, stop whining, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a terrible mood today. Why? What's up? I don't know. I flung books around. Yeah. In oh yeah. John's yeah. living room and yeah. Martin's having a tantrum. I'm having a tantrum for no reason. Today. No, all you do is give attitude lately. You're watching too much Dynasty, boy. There's an actual episode in Buffy where him mum. Dates yes. a robot. Ted. Yeah, Ted. John, and John you know, John Ritter. You know, like it's kind of playing on the idea that the new boyfriend that the mum's bringing home is evil, and whether it actually is or not, and it's been that. It's directly stole this theme and this story again, because mm. that is exactly what's going on here. You would think that it's just the kids thinking it's him because he's coming in and trying to take yeah. out the life as the new dad. Yeah, yeah. And he play up to that, but he is as well. And there's a weird, there's also I think a weird PD element to Max as well because he's like trying to get to her sons by getting with her. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the reality of it is, it's called the Lost Boys for a reason. They're, they've all been like laddie, the little boy. They've all been on a missing poster, and Max has taken them to make his own sort of weird family, hasn't he? And he's mm. trying to do it with these. So there is, there is that. He's weird like a vampire, threat. vampire Fagan, yeah. like all of a twist. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> You've just watched it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, that is weird. And it's in bribing the boys as well, or particularly Sam. It's like trying to bribe him with presents and stuff, and that's just it does just make you feel very uncomfortable. There's only a video shop though. It's like, like the coolest thing in 1987, wasn't it? Yeah. Look at all these videos. Yeah. Know. But isn't that like saying, have these sweets, little boy? Yeah, yeah. come puppy. see my puppies. Yeah. yeah. Which is so, so strangely sort of weirdly connected to the kind of the reality that a lot of the young actors were going through at the time mm. as well. I'm a little bit obsessed with Corey Haim. I want to go back and get a time machine and go back and save him and not let him die. <laughs> Basically. But, um, so at the time, so Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, this was their first time working together, and as we said before, that sort of launched them into the stratosphere as the two, I think they were like the highest paid child actors yeah, in the world. Um, and there's like lots of sort of, sort of cutesy stories about when they first got together on the film and stuff, and uh, the older actors were, were, were off partying and doing drugs and drinking and all that, and, and the, the boys were sort of... The, the quotes to say and like they went down to Venice Beach with the dads and that's game of football and mm. they hung out together and it all starts off really innocent like you know they had the first joint together and all that sort of stuff but then it's not bad innocence well, <laughs> well, well but that is there's a naive innocence to two young lads doing that mm. for the, you know for the first time and not being preyed on by paedophiles which is actually what started well yeah started to happen and uh, so they became known as the two Corys and then I sent you guys this link tonight today yeah. about um, from from the reality show that they made which is sort of <laughs> it's like a smack in the face it just sort of makes you realise what was actually what was actually Great. going on there um, but I mean Corey Feldman's gone on record as saying that they were, they were both basically abused uh, around, this, around the time of this film before and after um uh, so what you had was two sort of promising young actors and um, off the back of the, f- the fame they got from this film 
Corey Haim kind of went quite quickly downhill and got into sort of drugs and um, became addicted to um, prescription pills mm. and all that sort of stuff. Kind of one of the first to really do that, isn't he? Like, I know he had people in the 30s and stuff that did do it, but I think one of the major ones that you hear of that actually did the spiral of teen stars straight into Probably didn't hear about drugs it back then, though, did you? That's the difference. Well, well I think you did. I think you did hear about it then. If people died, then mm. you heard about it. And about their careers went down. You, if you in the fifties had LA Confidential and mm. Celebrity Skin magazine, and they were constantly peddling all those stories. I think uh, well, well, things weren't that things that weren't that weren't that innocent. I think no, I'm we not hang, I'm I think not. we hang on to that the story of Corey Haim because it's closer to our lived experience than those mm. other things. I think it was mm. it was really evident in those days no I'm not saying that it didn't happen but what I mean is it would have been it's easier for now for us to hear about it because people have got easier access to saying something mm. I imagine back then if something went wrong look at like Blue Dolly or something that may yeah. have been someone who'd you know just been murdered for something they knew yeah, yeah. You can't back then it probably would have been easier just to have someone killed whereas you can't, probably couldn't do that now yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no well maybe you could if you'd have a breakdown back then it was like even if it is reported and stuff, it's still not quite as public as it is now. Like you don't go on a public Facebook rant and as you descend into chaos, like the celebrities do, and start calling people out. Yeah, and it's so public, your private life doesn't have a barrier at all now. But also at the time, I think there was a bit of it that was shrouded in mystery because back then, if you think about Drew Barrymore and you think about there's a whole roll call of eighties young actors who most of them have died. You got like River Phoenix, and you got. You've got Corey Haim. You've got people who were on the on the brink of it, and also like Jonathan Brandis mm. and from It and people like mm. that. Um, you know, you, you, you that was all publicised, but it was a wild rock and roll lifestyle. It wasn't child abuse. Yeah, and, you know. Yeah. So I think that's what is Look how much fun these people are available having. to mm. us now that we know because people have blown the whistle a bit more now, aren't they? Um, but at the time it was it was a glamorised rock and roll mm. lifestyle. Oh, we did too many drugs, so he dies in a gutter outside the Viper Rooms yeah. and all that. But you weren't told you weren't it wasn't all all over the news that yeah it wasn't because there were sad things behind it at 14 no. and 12 yeah. which is really sad so yeah so Cody Feldman's uh, memoir choreography I like a good pun <laughs> I, I didn't enjoy that yeah so in so in that he kind of named he sort of talks about an A-lister who convinced the boat convinced them that it was perfectly normal for older men and younger boys in the business of sexual relations but they've never kind of revealed who that was and there's lots of Lots of conspiracy theories. I did Google, completely unrelated to that. I googled Joel Schumacher gay just to sort of see what the what the general consensus was on hit on on how out he was in in um, Tinseltown and stuff. And one of the first things I saw was pervert gay director Joel Schumacher raped Corey Haim. Oh dear. God. So obviously I clicked on it and I was like, was that was is that a rumor? But then I did realize that it was it was a um it was a blog called the James Hartline Report, and he's like a mental homophobia Christian bigot. Yeah. So the minute I saw his sort of credentials, I just t- came away from him and started. Yeah, I've never heard anything seedy about Joel Schumacher. Yeah, I mean there there always gonna be rumors. I mean the thing the thing is right, a Hollywood director who is get who is openly gay, and likes the company of pretty young lads. It doesn't take it doesn't take many people, especially right wing people, to jump on that and shout Peter Fat. Mm. You know, yeah. so you know, I'd never, you know, I'd never insinuate anything about him because I don't, I don't know any any facts about mm. him. But 
they're the only times I've seen things mentioned when you go on forums and you look into it and people people are spouting all this stuff and it, th- those people are generally very right wing and they're just j- sort of jumping to the Yeah, I think you'd even, in my brain anyway, I'd imagine that the people who did this kind of thing would probably not be out, like, to the public. Yeah. They'd be CD back to those straight men who were doing it. It's got nothing. To, it's got nothing to do with what people's sexuality is, has it? Because yeah, actually, paedophiles will just paedophiles will just abuse whoever, really. It's, it's a power. And thing. I think it, it is a power thing. thing. And I think gay. that I think the gay thing is easy pickings yeah. for you, the evil people like Joe Hartline to exploit, and it's more obvious to exploit when. There'll be equally, you know, hundreds of young girls going through the Hollywood machine who are getting mm. abused yeah. in just the same way. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, so there's that sort of darker side to it that you can look more into. And there's a great documentary, isn't it, on YouTube mm. called um, "An Open What Is It? Open Secrets." Yeah, it's well worth watching. And I think it it just shows how prevalent it it was mm. and is in Hollywood. And mm. it, you'll be. I think everybody, anybody who watches it will be horrified as we were just to realise how unchallenged it goes, how unchallenged it is within Hollywood and how people are still, it doesn't, you know, known paedophiles are still held positions of power, unimpeded, despite <laughs> anything that they've done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> so. But yeah, if you go on there and you search it on YouTube, Open Secret, it's like an unedited, it's, a, it's slightly unedited and unfinished, the documentary, I think, and it's not something that I think is supposed to be out there for public consumption, because there are people named in it that I don't think yeah, was, would want to be named, it so it's really, interesting. It was re-edited to take his name out. And that's the unedited version. Yeah, so you can see the unedited version mm-hmm. on YouTube. So I do recommend you you give that a look. It's dark and it's depressing, but it is interesting to look up. Isn't it? Oh, I'm say from this. It's important that those things are out there because I think it's that easy. We were talking before the podcast, you or maybe join it. I can't remember, but Muddy gives so much power, yeah. doesn't it, to get away with it? You to get away with things. So it's it's important that there is stuff out there that. This always it exposes, exposes yeah. stuff that, that's going to be hidden. Definitely. So that's so Cody Hames' sort of trajectory after the film was, was really tragic, and he, he did die um, officially of pneumonia, I think it was. He was a drug addict. Yeah. That's yeah. probably why he killed him, because he was yeah. eaten down by drugs. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas Cody Feldman is very much still with us, <laughs> and he's kind of, he goes on chat shows and is sort of lampooned, doesn't he you know, for being like this crazy person, but... It's, it's sort of diverts from the real story, doesn't it? Mm. That he's he's the way he is for a fucking for a reason. Yeah, you know that's, that's a little sinister almost the way it's kind of oh to laughing at him, but yeah. it's because he's that, that's the easiest way to yeah. kind of discredit someone. Exactly, to yeah. laugh at them a little bit sinister. Yeah. Yeah. You do, yeah. There's an agenda, it, doesn't it? It does make you wonder about what agenda is yeah. playing out there. But you, I mean, he was obviously even without any of that, he would always have been. Comically eccentric character, Corey Feldman. Yeah, in his just his natural personality. Yeah, definitely. But there is something strange about how, just yeah, very sinister mm. about how he's rolled out as yeah, a yeah, a thing stuck. And he had a tough time as a kid as well. Mm. He 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 um, he famously went through an emancipation from his parents, didn't he? Because they mm. stole money from him. <laughs> it's just crazy. Didn't he, didn't he, only, he, like he earned a million dollars and he only received $40,000. And then after it. the court case, the dad says, I'm just kidding, no, give me that $40,000. Yeah. 
Right. <laughs> so, you know, he, he took it through to a time. He was sort of pushed. Both of them, both Corys were pushed into being child stars by, by pushy parents. Um, Corey Feldman was in a, a commercial, I think, when he was three. Yeah. He, he knew how to act before he knew his own name. He's, he's on the record as the mm. same. And also, interestingly, in, in Stand By Me, he plays Teddy, doesn't he? He was like a really angry little kid who was really mixed up. And he said he didn't really have to act because that's how he felt mm. at the time. Um, so there is a real Phoenix is in that as well, isn't he? Hmm? River Phoenix is in Stand By Me as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland, who, yeah. yeah, essentially is a very similar character to him. Yeah. Um, and another Stephen King film as well there. But um, Corey Haim, just just quickly as well, he's in another of my favourite horror movies from childhood called Silver Bullet. Have you seen it? No, no. It's the Stephen King one as well, Stephen isn't King. it? The cycle of the werewolf, is it? Yeah. yeah. Silver Bullet, it's a werewolf film set in a small town where you don't know who the werewolf is and he's like a he's a disabled kid and, and the silver bullet of the title is his like yeah. motorised wheelchair yeah. and he's like gotta save the day in his wheelchair. It's great, you know, it's really worth looking like very nostalgic as well. But anyway, that's all a bit of a downer, but mm. I think yeah. it's interesting to look at the sort of the the darkness that was around. Yeah. These sorts of glamorous. Although the, the title of the film is appropriate. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, they were Lost Boys in the end, weren't they? It's interesting because it was it was filmed in Santa Cruz, wasn't it? Yeah. And actually, and actually, in the script, it was meant to be Santa Cruz, but the council, the town council, refused the permit <laughs> to film there if they didn't change the name of the town. So they oh, changed it to Santa Clara. But it had actually been Santa Cruz had actually been labelled the murder capital of the nation. <laughs> so all of that graffiti and stuff was real. Was real. <laughs> and there'd been three different serial killers in the in like the in the late seventies, early eighties that had used Santa Cruz wow. as their hunting ground. Yeah, because they kept confusing which was the actual killer. And they yeah. took them ages to figure out who'd actually killed people because mm. there was that many different serial killers at the same time. It's crazy. There's a book coming out as well this year. It's 30 year anniversary, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Happy 30 it's, years, Lost Boys. Yeah. Um, the book's called uh, Lost in the Shadows and that's coming out in August, apparently. And that sounds like an interesting one. Uh, I think it probably won't really touch on all of the dark stuff that we're yeah. kind of covering. Also, yeah. another one's just died as well, Brooke McCarter, who plays one of the gang. The, the isn't guy with the one of them uh, Alec Winston, isn't it, from Bill and Ted? Yeah. He is, yeah. yeah. I thought I'd recognise them. <laughs> Cry Little Sister was a hit and got to number 15 in the charts, by the way. That's very good. What did you actually think of the finale of the film, the whole, where I just think this film kind of went a bit home alone? With like water pistols and <laughs> that was, like, yeah, and that stuff. was a strange combination because you had a lot of the Goonies stuff, but with so much gore as well. Yeah, all of the blood f- shooting out of the sink and the toilet and all that sort of stuff. And I, did, I liked the way the dog saved the day and kicked yeah. him into the bathroom. It was so ridiculous. It was, yeah. it was such a weird. It was such a weird scene that where the film was being pretty. There wasn't really much gore or blood yeah. at all, and then. Just, that seems crazy. Suddenly it's like explosions of blood. <laughs> blood everywhere. Yeah. It's com- that's completely 80s then. Yeah. You, it just, you film potters along and then, okay, now here's the explosion section. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here's the Jeep ex- bursting through the wall of the house section. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was probably thinking it was because I'm like, if your film could be a PG-13 if there's only one scene with blood in, so it's like, we'll just get it all in one yeah. scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you can still take your kids to see it, but there's loads of blood. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't get the vampire who fakes getting shot with a bow. Like, he jumps at a mid-jump, then he shoots a bow and I don't want to I was like, how the fuck did he land that shot? And then 
He was just—he oh. was just pretending that he got hit with a bow, just so he could make it. So just so he could get an extra little skate. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I get it for the film, but in reality, that is the weirdest <laughs> move. <laughs> I love the bit where he says the attack of Eddie Munster, and she's like, it's yeah. just a little boy. Although the line "death by stereo" made me cringe. Yeah. <laughs> I cringe. I loved it. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. My favorite bit. I love how noisy the finale is as yeah. well. It's so noisy. Can we talk about as well the actual real scene of actual horror where the surf Nazis are around the campfire? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the Lost they Boys attack them, attack them. And there's a scene that's always stuck with me where he rips the top of his head off. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. incredible. I know. I was like, that's so dark. And then the spray of blood and mm. the sizzling of flesh. Mm. That's real horror. It's great. I like the tagline to the Lost Boys being sleep all day, party all night. Never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. <laughs> That's what this film was invented for, wasn't it? To make vampires cool and relevant yeah. and make teenagers spend lots of money to come and go and see it. And it and it worked. But we're gonna do Fright Night because I know a lot of a lot of our listeners will love Fright Night and they used a sound bites for an art opening theme for a the reason. Um we'll go back and look at that as well. Um but The Lost Boys, yeah, I do I I, I find it very hard to meet anyone who doesn't like it. Yeah. It's a good film. Yeah. It's good fun. Even if you're not a horror fan, actually, it's a good yeah. film. It's a good film. I did enjoy it, but I think I don't have that nostalgia. Yeah, I don't have that nostalgia for it. Part of it, and it's a good film. Like I it's a good film, but part of it, I found quite obnoxious. Yeah, it is obnoxious. Yeah, it's loud and mm. in your face and American cheesy. No. <laughs> it's popcorn, isn't it? It's a popcorn yeah. movie. I think most of it, I just really enjoyed. I just love the style and everything, and just that eighties vibe that you get from it. It's just right on my street yeah just minus those two characters but the rest of it I'm okay with yeah and I just thought it was really fun yeah it's right at the well it's right at the plum in the middle of the 80s of revival where they made they suddenly decided they wanted to make films involving teenagers for teenagers and because it had such a hit and it was just that unique section of time for like 84 to 87 where they really yeah, they really was, hit the right. They really hit the right notes in terms of mm-hmm. coolness and. Yeah, if I watched it when I was twelve, ten or ten to thirteen, it would probably be my favourite film ever. But I'm not. I'm thirty-four. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thirty-six. No, but I didn't. I didn't watch it then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I watched when it was out. I saw it when I was too young. I was only about to be in about six or seven yeah. I saw it the first time so I probably yeah. didn't really get it yeah. and I didn't watch it for years afterwards so right, I've, only, yeah. I've only come back for it recently and yeah. I didn't yeah. have the years to kind of get the nostalgia but maybe if you kept up kept up the momentum watching yeah. it again when you were 12 yeah. and 14 and 16 you just didn't try hard enough yeah, yeah. you failed the last place yeah see I was 27 when I, I've just watched it for the first time for this but then this really hit a note and I bought it straight away as soon as you know but then, at the same time, I just love everything that's 80s, so therefore, even though it's not nostalgia to me, it's still just my favourite period of time. So you're looking for a vampire movie with 80s power rock, neon lights, dry ice, lots and lots of big, big hair, then this The Lost Boys is definitely one to watch. So I imagine everyone who's listened to this has seen it and is just having a nostalgia trip, but if you haven't seen it, definitely get hold of it and give it a look oh another little queer nod for Joel Schumacher you know what he did before he was director his costumes director wasn't he his costumes and then he was a writer and he wrote the screenplay for The Wiz <laughs> 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 that's why all the costumes in Batman were so great 
because he did all the costumes. Exactly, that's why they were so perfect. <laughs> so the giant cod pieces and the big nipples. <laughs> and the bat nipples. It was like Tom of Finland, Batman, basically. <laughs> and he also gave us Tigerland, which was like, which was um, Colin Farrell, basically naked or topless for the whole film with dog tags. See, I don't get so. the hate for this. Yeah. Who plays Robin in Batman? Chris O'Donnell. Chris O'Donnell. Chris O'Donnell pulling up those pants on those that butt. It's just like literally. Fantastic. And I will forever praise Joel yeah. Schumacher for that scene. Exactly. So thanks for tuning in to that episode of Screaming Queens. We will be back with you in a fortnight. Don't do anything we wouldn't do.